0: time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did, because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart, they have got passion for God, they're leading intercession on their schools, they're set apart, consecrated under God, and they've got a vision and a mission for their life. My name is Jared Newman. I'm the junior high pastor. It's good to be here with you guys tonight. Uh, I want to tell you a crazy story Of something that happened to me yesterday. Um, Yesterday, I had one of those moments that nobody ever wants to have in their life where uh, I get home from work and my wife is going up to Denver, so uh, she was going with a friend, and so it's my job to watch our three kids. Everybody, track it with me? All right. That's problem number one. (laughs) No, but uh, So I'm watching the three kids. I'm like, man, I'm going to do something really fun. So I'm going to take them to the park. So I decide we're going to jump in the car, and I'm going to take them to the park. And we're on the way to the park. And uh, me and Ellie and Myra, we're all kind of laughing and playing, getting ready to go. Sam's coming. And it's like we're just in sight of the playground, where the playground is right over here. And it's like we're walking right to it. And I do this little thing with Ellie, who's my six-year-old you know how sometimes you walk alongside somebody and you like do a little, like you kick them in the butt or you do something like that? Well, I didn't do that, but I I just was like walking with Ellie and I was like, Ellie, I love you, you know? And I went like this and just did a little hip bump. (laughs) Bro, and like, she like stumbled, like it didn't knock her over, but it totally caught her off guard. And she like stumbled and she gets so embarrassed that she starts like freaking out and throwing all sorts of attitude. (laughs) so I'm like whoa whoa you settle down and then she's like whoa well, no and I had told her that this morning I was going to take her out on a date like before school and, uh, and she starts freaking out and she goes I'm not going on that date tomorrow I will not wake you up and we're not going and, rah, 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 rah. You know, and I mean like this is a six year old that's throwing out some crazy attitudes so I was like oh alright we're, uh, we're going back to the house. We're going to take care of this one. And uh, so, I mean, bummer for Myra and Sam. Because it's like, there's the park. And it's like, family, here we go. We're turning around. <laughs> so, you know, I throw. Sam doesn't want to walk back. So, I put him on my shoulders. I'm carrying him back. Grab Myra's. And like, Ellie storms off. And she just storms back to the house, like way out in front of us. And I'm just like, oh, man, this girl is going to get it. <laughs> And so, go inside, take her upstairs, and uh, I'm talking to Ellie just about her attitude and how she can't have an attitude like this. And, you know, I I give her a few spankings, and she just, and then she starts crying, she's like, I'm sorry, you know, like, do you still want to go on that date? Yes, And, (laughs) and so everything's going pretty cool. And, like, in the middle of talking to her up there, like, I hear Myra and Sam, they're downstairs, and Myra starts screaming, you know, they're jumping from couch to couch. Who knows what they're doing, because Mommy's gone, and Daddy's upstairs with Ellie. And uh, so I hear Myra screaming, and I'm just sitting up there thinking, well, you know, her and Sam are playing. And then, uh, so I keep, and I just kinda stay up there with Ellie, and we're talking, and I'm just like, I've got her on my leg, and I'm just comforting her, and like telling her how much I love her, and uh, all this stuff, and about five minutes goes by, And then I realized, you know, I haven't heard anything for a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, trouble. So me and Ellie walk downstairs, and I'm like, first thing that's odd is my front door is wide open, and my back door is wide open. (laughs) So we get to running around the house and looking in the basement, yelling around in the backyard, Nothing. Whew. So I'm like, well, they had their hearts set on the park. They must have gone to the park without me. Like, we're not letting Ellie punish us. You know, I'm talking, this is my three-year-old and two-year-old. I'm like, holy moly. So I jump in the car. And I grab Ellie and I'm like, get in the front seat, here we go. And so we jump in the car and we're like driving down the street, looking between like nooks and crannies of houses, looking on front porches. We drive to the neighborhood park, we're driving around the slide area, there's nothing. My, my, my father-in-law, mother-in-law, they live kind of on the opposite side of the neighborhood. So I'm like, maybe they walked to grandparents' house. But like a three-year-old and two-year-old, is like, I wouldn't trust them to walk to Grandpa's house. I like, I don't know that they would know how to get there, but maybe in their mind they're like, let's go to Grandpa's house. And Sam doesn't even really talk yet, so he's he you know, <laughs> and so he's just following Myra, like whatever she's doing. And so I'm like starting to panic because I'm like, I was upstairs thinking that that little scream, what if that scream, you know, I was thinking, oh, they're just playing and Myra's just screaming, but what if somebody like just came into my house and took my kids? Holy moly and then so I'm like starting to call Holly because I'm freaking out and uh, she's not answering her phone which is probably a good thing <laughs> and then I go over to Holly's parents house and Holly's dad is there and I'm like have you seen Myra and Sam and it's like <laughs> what? <laughs> So he jumps in his car and he starts going, and I like start driving up like main, like I'm going up Dublin, like turning around, like going everywhere, freaking out. Go call my neighbor because I'm like maybe because sometimes Myra will draw like paintings and pictures, and she'll go over to my neighbor's house and like give them stuff. And uh, so I was like maybe Myra and Sam went to my neighbor's house and they're giving him a drawing or something. So I call him. I was like, hey Brian, by chance are Myra and Sam at your house? He's like, no. Like, do you lose him? <laughs> yeah, can you help me find him? <laughs> like, so he starts on the search committee and like I'm just freaking out. I mean, like, about twenty minutes goes by, and then the thoughts are like, okay, I need to like like every second here counts. Like, I need to call the police. But then I'm like, okay, so then I'm gonna tell the police. My kids walked out the front door. I'm gonna get arrested for being a negligent father. And then they're like, what were you doing while while your kids were going out the front door. It's like, well, I was beating my other child. <laughs> so I was like, man, like, I can't call the police. <laughs> like, like, I was like, I don't know what the heck to do. I'm just freaking out. And then finally, like, a last resort, I was like, Ellie, where do you think they are? And she's like, I think they're... Cause she has some friends that are like all older friends, like her age. There's like a fourth grader and a second grader, and a, like a, either a first grader or kindergarten at this house. And like, so not three years old and two years old. Not like Myra and Sam's friends. But I was like, all right, you go check with Brian, who's my neighbor. You go check and see if they're down there. And she goes and knocks on the door, and sure enough, Ellie and Myra were just sitting in there watching Veggie Tales. <laughs> Holy moly! So, I still got some adrenaline rushes going on. Last night, I was standing down there at the table in Holly, and I felt like I heard this faint little scream. Like this faint little thing. I mean, I took off up the stairs to go look in the kids' rooms, and I was like, I gotta settle down here. (laughs) (laughs) Woo, I'm on edge. (laughs) So, I hope that a day like that never happens to you. But, you know, I wish that that story really tied in well with what I'm going to talk about tonight, but it doesn't. (laughs) I I just wanted to tell you that story because it freaked me out. Uh, Tonight I want to talk though about, it's the last night that we're in the Unstoppable series, talking about the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I want want to talk to you tonight about something that if you look through Scripture, it's mind-blowing what happens when a simple thing happens. You look at fearful, timid people. You look at Moses who ran from from Egypt into the wilderness. He ran to the wilderness because he had killed a man and he was afraid for his life. And he ran out and he was gone for, for years and years and years and years out in the wilderness tending sheep and just being like a shepherd guy out in the wilderness. And here's Moses who was raised up in Pharaoh's house but because of fear wasn't doing anything. Everybody with me on this? He wasn't about to venture back to Egypt. He wasn't about to go back and try to save anybody. He tried to save people once and it didn't work out for him. It blew up in his face. He killed an Egyptian and then everybody was like, what, you're going to kill me like you killed that Egyptian man? So he knew the word was out. So he fled for his life because he didn't want anybody to kill him. So here, he was like, man, I tried to save my people a long time ago, but I'm just going to live my days out in the wilderness tending sheep. Just... Minding my own business, doing like just a simple man's work, like not meddling with other people, just doing, just being a good guy. Just do good things. He got married out there, just living his own life. There was a day that he was walking and he has an encounter with a burning bush. A little weird. And he goes over to this burning bush and he's going over there. I mean, this voice starts coming from this bush and it's like, take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. And God begins to speak to Moses here and God tells Moses to go back to Egypt and to deliver his people. And Moses starts coming up with excuses for why he can't. Because he's weak and because he stutters and he can't talk well. And how am I supposed to go up in like, You're talking about going to see Pharaoh, who's like the most powerful man on the face of the earth right now. You're telling me to go tell him to let all his slaves go, all of his workforce? That's going to go over real good, God. Cool. Find somebody else. But God continues to speak. He says, Moses, I'm going to be with you. Throw your staff down on the ground and watch what happens. It turns into a snake. And I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but that would be kind of cool, (laughs) like real cool, and uh, so Moses is like, okay, God's with me on this, and so he goes, and he talks to Pharaoh, and he says, hey, I mean, he's got to feel probably a little bit confident, because God just spoke to him and told him to go do something, and God said, look, I'm going to provide the signs and wonders, and you're going to, you know, I'm going to be with you, So there's a part of it where Moses is going to go try and do something, hoping that the God that spoke to him at the burning bush wasn't something crazy because he was getting heat stroke out in the middle of the desert, you know, just thinking crazy thoughts. It's like, man, that sheep that I ate last night, it's kind of messing with me. I'm hallucinating a little bit. This is crazy. And, you know, so he's got to be thinking these thoughts, but he's like, okay, I feel like God spoke to me and told me something. So I'm going to go and talk to Pharaoh. So he goes and he talks to Pharaoh. Most powerful man on the earth. And he says, let my people go. And I'm sure that Pharaoh was there. And he's got to laugh in Moses' face and go, who do you think you are? You're crazy coming in here telling me, Pharaoh, like I had to kill you, Moses. You're an idiot. He's like, well, God told me to come tell you that. And he said for me to do this he throws a stick down on the ground and it turns to a snake which is cool and then pharaoh's got to be like all right you want to play that game and he brings in his own guys and he has some of his kind of wizard sorcerer guys (laughs) that can turn sticks into snakes which is pretty crazy (laughs) throw their sticks down and they turn into snakes now cool thing is Moses' snake ate their snakes (laughs) Like, I don't know what the significance of that is, but I'd be like, yeah, you see that? (sighs) You got nothing. (laughs) Bring in some more snakes. And so you have this moment. And then at the end of this, like Pharaoh's still like, no, go away. So Moses leaves and then God speaks to Moses again. He says, hey, I want you to go back to Pharaoh. Moses has got to be like, God, I just did that. You said you were going to be with me. It was cool and all that they ate the snakes, but my snake should have ate Pharaoh. <laughs> then I could let the people go. Like, do something. And so he keeps, he keeps going back and keeps going back and he keeps going back and there's like 10 plagues before finally Pharaoh lets the people go. It took Pharaoh losing his firstborn son. Much like I lost my second and third born yesterday. No, very different. But here's what I want to say. Moses was a simple man that was just doing, minding his own business, going about his own life, and something extraordinary happened. And it wasn't that all of a sudden his staff began to turn into a snake. The extraordinary thing that took place was that God spoke to him. And time and time and time and time again, when you read through Scripture, when God speaks to people, you see that they just do simple, extraordinary things. Like, And I... (laughs) I'm trying to just think of some examples. One that I think is really bizarre, because sometimes I think God has a sense of humor too. I think God that created everything created our humor and laughter and all those kind of things too. (laughs) Like, he told Peter once to go catch a fish and look in the fish's mouth for some temple tax money. (laughs) Peter's got to be like, whoa, bro. Like, (laughs) Jesus, is this one of those things where you're, like, telling me to go do this? And, you know, like, it's like, no, go catch a fish and check in its mouth. I've never caught a fish with money in its mouth. (laughs) I I think it would be pretty fun, though. You know, another time that I think is pretty goofy... I mean, I, like, I'm seriously thinking, I think it's in, uh, it's right before Jesus dies. I think it's in Luke 19. Uh, Jesus is just about to go into, uh, into Jerusalem. And he tells his disciples, hey, guys, go into Jerusalem. And when you go in there, you're going to find this colt that's tied up. Nobody's ever ridden on it before. I want you to grab that colt and bring it back to me because that's what I'm going to ride on. And when somebody asks you, hey, what are you doing untying that colt? Tell them that that the Savior has need of it or something like that. And like, I can just imagine being like a disciple tasked with that duty. Go to Walmart. Pick up several boxes of Snickers and a couple basketballs. I got this game that we're going to play. And when they ask you as you're walking out, what are you doing with that stuff? I want you to tell them that your master has need of it. (laughs) (laughs) cool. (laughs) Cool. I mean, I can't imagine being a disciple. It's like, all right, Jesus cast out demons, and he was doing all this cool stuff, and then he told us to go and do the same, so we went and did the same, and that was cool because that felt like kingdom of God stuff. Now... Jesus, the same guy who was telling me to do that, is telling me to go steal a colt, like some donkey. And so the disciples have to be walking into Jerusalem a little bit hesitant going, okay, first donkey we see, we're going to grab it. I mean, I'm just throwing out the reality of the situation. Like, first donkey we see, Jesus said, get him a donkey. We're going to go do our part. So then they grab it and some guy, sure enough, is asking them and then they just say, you know, it's like, Bro, this is my house, and you're tying up, you're untying my animal. What the heck are you doing? Peace be with you, sir. The master has need of it. Okay. And the guy's like, "Cool, man. Double rainbow sends him off." And then. A couple of chapters later in uh, Luke 22, Jesus tells them to go into town because they're getting ready to celebrate Passover. You know, and earlier in the scriptures, Jesus is saying, you know, like, come and follow me. And they're like, it, it, he's like, but where would we go? And what do you know? He's like, I don't even have a place to lay my head. I don't have a house. I'm, you know, we just keep going. And so here Jesus is with his disciples and he says, hey, go into town and look for somebody carrying a water jug. And when you see him carrying a water jug, follow them into their house. (laughs) Oh, man. I don't know if I'd rather untie a donkey or follow a man carrying a water jug into his home. (laughs) But uh, so he said, well, you know, the disciples are going to be like, what? (laughs) Can we go to like an inn or rent something? He's like, no. Follow the guy with the water jug into his house. And he's got a fully furnished room, and that's where we're gonna celebrate the Passover together. And so the disciples go, and sure enough, they follow some guy, and the guy's gonna be like, Can I help you? Like, I've got a water jug here. You know, like, I mean, so bizarre. And they say, "Uh, The master says, You have a room for us that we're going to eat Passover at. The guy's like, sure enough, it's prepared for you. It's right up here in the upper room. It's like how bizarre some of these things are. But I want you to think about it because there's times that I believe like God is speaking to us. And he's asking us to do things. And it's like, are we going to take God at his word? Are we going to do what he's asked us to do? Even if sometimes it seems a little Crazy. And there's a part of it where it takes knowing the voice of God and trusting God and having seen God's character proven over and over and over again. And you recognize, you know what, God is out. He's not out to get me. God is out to give me an extraordinary life. Not just to make my life like blessed with things, but it's like no, to live a life that's beyond our wildest dreams. To do things that are extraordinary and supernatural. To do things that in our own flesh we could never accomplish and do. And I I want to invite you to this. God wants to speak to you every day. The same way that he spoke to Moses, the same way that he spoke to Gideon, the same way that he spoke to Paul on the road to Damascus, Paul why are you persecuting me? The same way that he's spoken to thousands of people throughout history. And I mean some of the stories Of people that are even modern day disciples, followers of Christ that I know that have told me stories of things that they've experienced. You know, I have a friend, like a legitimate friend that's in Tulsa. His name is Keith. He was walking through like a big public square over in Europe and he starts, he starts feeling like the Holy Spirit is just wanting to pray in tongues out loud in the middle of the square. So he's just walking and he just starts praying in tongues, out loud. And as he's walking, people that are around him begin to hear him almost in the same way that it happened in the New Testament where they begin to hear him in their native tongue. Like people from different countries, people from all over. You know, people that speak German and Spanish and Russian and all these, they start to hear him proclaiming the goodness of God in their own language. The same guy I mean, I, I just, like, I mean, it's amazing. He had even a, a similar encounter where it said that, you know, like the, the Peter shadow, he would walk by people and heal people. And he was like, it's like, all right, this is weird. But he's like, I had this, like, two-week period of time where it was like everybody I prayed for got healed, and I even had it happen that when I would walk by people, people got healed. And he was telling stories of like, and he said and him where it started was there was a, a person that was severely crippled and handicapped, sitting in a wheelchair, hands completely shriveled, can't move, decrepit, you know, like muscles not there, those kind of things. And he said he felt like the Lord told him to go and pray for this person, which is a pretty intimidating thing to do. You know, here's a person that's been in a wheelchair obviously their whole life, and he goes and he just lays hands, and he said... I just started to pray that, you know, and he was like, honestly, like in my heart, I didn't know what to pray because I, I wasn't expecting for, you know, like hands to open and him to suddenly respond in different ways. You know, I was kind of expecting, like, me just to go and pray and, like, do my duty of just being faithful, like, because I felt like God told me to do this, so I was just going to go and just pray a blessing over this person. Everybody kind of with me? And he said, bones begin to crack. And he saw muscles and tissue begin to grow like literally with his own eyes and saw a lame man walk. And it's because of obedience. So tonight, I wanna wanna ask you to listen because I believe that when we talk about the Holy Spirit, one of the most significant things about the Holy Spirit is that it's God's presence that dwells within us. And I believe that God himself isn't dwelling within us because he just wanted a, to find like a little warm place to stay. I think it's because he wants to live inside of us and be a part of our life and speak to us and be in relationship with us. And oftentimes I think we get so accustomed to the busyness and the noise around us that we forget who's living inside of us. And we forget to just incline our ear to hear. Growing up in Oklahoma, I used to have this experience where I would go out early in the morning because I love fishing. Oh, this is a fun game too. This new name tag thing, I made a new game out of it. If you hang out with me, you'll recognize that I make up games a lot. But I drew three things that I love, and it's kind of like Pictionary. (laughs) So if you want to learn things about the people that are here, just tell them to draw a little, just draw something you're passionate about, and then, you know, and then you guys can play a game. Like, all right, you have five seconds to guess what it is. Hmm. So that's for next week. Um, but I love fishing. Fishing's one of the things on here. And As I was thinking about fishing, like one of the things that I would do is I, bass fishing especially is early in the morning is just the best. Everything is so quiet. Everything is still. And I would get up early before the sun comes up and I'd go sit down on the docks and I'd start fishing. And oftentimes when I would do that, you go out there in the morning before the wind's picked up, before any movement. I mean, nothing's out. And it's just like glass, like th- there's no ripples on the surface. And you take a f- you take a fishing lure, and I used to throw these big old top water things and throw them real close to the bank. And when they would hit, it would like boom, and it would I mean it would make a raucous like and just splash, you know, and there'd be ripples. You know what I'm talking about? How you see ripples on the water that just continue to move. Really cool. And the bass hated that movement and the annoyance of that. So you'd throw a big old thing out, just a big honking, huge thing with two treble hooks, and it would land and make a big splash. And like if there was one near it, it would instantly like hit the top of the water, and it'd be like, <laughs> you know, "That's my old redneck side." Um, and uh, just be so cool. But then you'd go out on days, and it's like Labor Day weekend or Memorial Day, or you go out in midday, and how many of you guys have seen like a big lake or something that kind of, it gets like white caps, and it's like, I mean, you can look out, and you know the water's rough, because it's all, you know, it's like, if I threw the same lure at that time of day, I don't even know that I would see the splash, you know, because it was so busy, and there's so much commotion. It's like in order to, to see something or to even recognize something on the surface of the water, I'd have to throw in like a huge SUV or something like, sh- poof, like oh, there's a splash. <laughs> that was different. You know, it's like if something was going to get my attention, it would have to be tremendously out of the ordinary, like a burning bush. <laughs> and sometimes I think we live our lives in such commotion that the condition of our heart is like the lake that's like on Labor Day weekend. Everything is moving and everything is, you know, and we're so busy doing so much that you can't ever get to the place where your heart is just still before God and you can hear him. And I want to challenge you guys. Above all else, seek and desire the ability to hear God's voice. Because it is God's voice And it is God trying to speak to you that is gonna lead you into some of the most supernatural and incredible things. And oftentimes, you know, I think in the church we've reverted to the law in the way that the Old Testament worked where we have made a list of rights and wrongs and do's and don'ts. So we think we're doing okay because we're not sinning against any of the major things that are listed. We're not lying, we're not cheating, we're not stealing, we're not committing adultery, we're not doing these things. But I would ask you to think about this you know, what is it that was the original sin? It was that God spoke to Adam and Eve and told them not to eat of the fruit. That's not one of the Ten Commandments, not to eat apples or not to eat fruit or not to eat a fig or whatever that fruit was. It's like, that's not in the Ten Commandments. We eat fruit all the time. But what was so wrong about that sin was that they disobeyed and they didn't listen to God. And I would ask you, if you truly want to be a disciple and a a follower of God. How do you best follow God? Is it just to not do what the big overt sins that the Bible mentions? Because I would ask you to think about this because what if God is speaking to you as you go to school tomorrow and he's saying, hey, I want you to go and love on this person. I want you to go pray for this person. And if the commotion of your life is so busy that you can't hear God, the question that I ask is, are you really following him? In the same way that Adam and Eve sinned against God, the definition of sin is simply missing the mark. You know, if I were to ask you, you know, if God told you to go and encourage this person or pray for this person, but you were so busy doing what you were doing that you missed it, wouldn't you agree that you missed the mark? I'll ask that again. Wouldn't you agree that you missed the mark? <laughs> so I think one of the most important things for us as Christ followers, New Testament Christ followers, that the Holy Spirit lives within us is to develop a keen sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and hearing Him speak. I want to talk to you just for a brief moment before I dismiss you because one of the big questions that I get when I talk about something like this is, well, how do you hear God? And how do you know So I want to talk to you about ways that I hear God and the way that I feel like most of my friends hear God. Because so oftentimes I think we so desperately desire this audible voice. And I know a few people that have had an audible voice experience, but not many. But I know hundreds of people that have heard God speak to them. And here's the way that I would present it. Even, Even in the Bible it talks about this where, you know, Elijah was saying like, you know, here's, here's the fire, and here's the thunder, and here's the booming earthquake. And it was like, surely God must be in this. Surely this is God. And it was like, God wasn't in that. God wasn't in that. God wasn't in that. And then it was like, where was God? It said that God was in the still, small voice. And when you translate it, it's God was in the silence. God was where the glass was, where there's a little ripple, and he wants you to see the ripple. He says, look, at, Pay attention. Pay attention. So oftentimes I think God speaks to us just through simple things. Simple thoughts. You know, you're just going about your regular day and all of a sudden a thought comes to your head. And you just recognize, you know what, this isn't, I wasn't on this track, but it was like all of a sudden something hits you from left field. And sometimes I think God's trying to speak to us through just simple thoughts. And we can so easily be like, oh, that was a weird thought and cast it aside. It's like, look, God's looking to interrupt our day with more of him. And we just got to recognize when he's speaking to us. Sometimes God will speak to us through, you know, you'll just get a vision or a picture of something. You know, it's like you just close your eyes and you're praying about something and you see a picture. And it's like you don't even know what that picture is, but you begin to maybe tell somebody. It's like, man, I just closed my eyes and I was praying and I felt like I I saw this picture. And sometimes it's the most insignificant things. You know, it's like I saw a picture of a teacup. (laughs) And you tell somebody that and it's like, (laughs) my grandma gave me a teacup and she just died and I was wondering if she was in heaven and you just said, teacup. <laughs> and it's like, holy moly, I didn't know that. I was, you know, it's like, but God can just expose little things to you that are little subtle things. And I totally made up the teacup thing. Just so everybody's Don't go telling people about teacups. But sometimes he speaks to us in dreams. Oftentimes the things he speaks to us through other people. Sometimes we're praying earnestly about something. And, you know, Ty or somebody else will come and just give you a word of encouragement and just say, and it's, and it's not that they have to come and say, thus says the Lord, or here's this word of encouragement. It could be even a total, this may shock some of you, It could be a total heathen that knows nothing about God that comes up and says something to you, but you just see something so profound in him. If you look in the Old Testament, God used a donkey to wake people up that he's speaking. And I just want to challenge you as you go about this week, separate some time, devote some time this week to get to a place where you can calm and still your heart before God. And I want you to sit there because so often when we think of prayer, we think of how hard we've got to press and how hard we've got to push. And I think so often God said, hey, shut up for a minute so I can help you. You keep asking and I keep telling you, but you're so dang loud, I can't get a word in. So I want to encourage you this week, spend some time, just sit silent before God and say, God, I invite you in my life and I want to hear your voice like I never had before. So speak to me. And just sit there. Sit there and just, just wait. Because here's what I know. My wife will talk to me sometimes. And I know her voice. But sometimes like, she'll be talking to me and I'm downstairs. And then she's got to go upstairs to do laundry. And she'll like, keep talking to me as she goes up the stairs to do the laundry. <laughs> The whole time thinking I'm able to hear. And then she'll come and it'll be like, and I'll say, what? When did you tell me that? And she's like, we talked about this yesterday when I was doing laundry. It's like, oh, that. like That was impossible. Or it's like watching a football game and it's like, she's like, hey, my friends are going to Paris. Can I go? And it's like, sure, whatever. You know, and it's like, you, you know, and then it's like, what is this $3,000 bill that's on our credit card? Like, You said I could go to Paris. (laughs) And so often I think that's the way we treat God, where we're so distracted with the things of our life that if we want to hear his voice, we've got to position ourselves to hear his voice. Like Austin Brammer is, is speaking over in the junior high. If I wanted to hear his voice, I need to position myself and go where he is. A second thing is this. You guys know this. You can be in the midst of a crowded room where everybody's talking and a familiar voice breaks through. And I would challenge you in this, that oftentimes we don't hear God in the midst of the commotion because he hasn't become a familiar voice. But if you will continue to pursue God and live in a place where you're hearing the presence of God and you're you're hearing his voice and you are setting aside time and it's like, it won't just be you know, in the quiet at 7 a.m. before you go to school, or some of you guys that go to school at 7 a.m. at like 5 a.m. before you go to school, like where you got to get to that quiet place, it won't just be there that you'll hear God. Because what ends up happening is you start to recognize His voice, and you start to recognize the way that He speaks to you. And then you're in the middle of a busy lunchroom. You're in the middle of a locker room. You're in the middle of of just going about your day, talking with friends, doing whatever it is that you're doing, you're playing sports, and all of a sudden that familiar voice comes to you. And it's the Holy Spirit, and He's working, He's moving in your life. And I wanna challenge every one of you to be sensitive and develop an incline an ear to hear his voice. Are you with me? Go ahead and bow your heads with me. I'm just gonna pray a blessing over you then dismiss. Father God, I pray for everybody in this room, God, myself included. God, that you would open up our ears to hear you like we never have before. God, open up our hearts to receive more and more of you. God, let us incline our ears to hear your voice. God, to be directed and moved by you. God, I pray that we wouldn't be so busy with our own lives and our own agendas, God, that we refuse to listen to your voice and your movement. God, let us follow you wholeheartedly. Let us pursue you, Father God, with everything in us. God, let us have a deep hunger and thirst for more and more of you, to know your voice. God, your your word says that your sheep will know your voice and another voice they will not listen to. And God, I pray that all the competing voices would grow dim and quiet compared to the voice of God in our lives. God, I pray that we wouldn't be so foolish as to think, God, that we can just keep going about doing what we're doing and hoping that you bless us and hoping that you use us. God, let us get still before you. God, let the one pursuit of our life be more of you. God, fill these students with your presence and with your power. Unlock deaf ears to hear. Open blind eyes to see. Let us not be those people that scripture talks about that though they see, they do not perceive. And though they hear, they do not understand. Open up our ears to hear. Open up our eyes to see. And God, I pray that the glory of God would come and invade the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did, because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life.